When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. It is the late National Signing Day as you're listening to this. We don't expect a ton of activity from Ohio State, but we are going to have a ton of activity with Ohio State because the plan is for Ryan Day and a whole bunch of other assistant coaches and staffers to speak with the media on Wednesday. So prepare for that at cleveland.com slash OSU. In the texts, be a text subscriber. You get all the information like bing, bang, boom, as soon as it happens, 614-350-3315. You can send a text to that number. You get a link back to sign up. It's a two-week free trial. And we'll be talking about what we learn from all these Ohio State people, that'll be the the Thursday pod, the Friday pod. Who knows how long we'll be talking about these interviews. So we're eager for that. But today, we're going to do rapid fire. We are recording this Tuesday afternoon. And Nathan Baird, I'll start off with a question that leads us into a somewhat significant news. This is our guy Kyle from the 513. Hey, fellas, quick question about roster management. How will the transfer portal uh, with 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 that happening, do you have any concerns if Ohio State isn't more active, getting high ranked transfers more often? And then it kind of goes into the ideas of how the transfer portal works. Guys don't want to wait around for playing time. Are you guys worried about this going forward, or think it's just part of the wave of NIL transfer portal stuff that will get sorted out? Love the pod, missed you all last week, and hope you enjoyed the break. So Nathan, we have one direct answer to this because the Buckeyes just got a guy who probably is going to do something in the portal. Let's start there. Who is he? What's he going to do? His name is Davison Igbenosan. He is a cornerback from Ole Miss. He was a freshman All-American there last year per uh, College Football News, uh, started 10 of their 13 games, and is kind of exactly what we have thought Ohio State needed to find in the portal, but is a difficult thing to sometimes find in the portal, which is someone who has demonstrated that they are at or above the level of players that Ohio State already has on its roster. And and even at cornerback, where that has been a, a tricky situation in terms of both depth and finding that 
higher level of play, uh, that hasn't always been an obvious thing that's that's waiting in the portal. And then on top of all that, you've got to find a guy who's willing to come north as opposed to a guy who wants to stay regionally where he already is. And Benoson is coming from Ole Miss, but he is a native of New Jersey. So a guy who would you know obviously maybe be more comfortable coming to the Big Ten and, and finding a more natural fit. But it's it's someone who, by all accounts, by what we've seen uh, on paper from him last year, by what I've seen from the, the clips that I've been able to watch so far, someone who should be able to come in and contend to to maybe be a starter. And Ohio State is always very picky in the portal. Uh, I think fans sometimes get restless, and I, that's I've pushed back on this idea that they are sort of like failing in the portal or 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 um, incompetent in the portal. But they they've stated like they're very picky about it. Uh, but when they get guys, they tend to make an impact like more often than not, whether it's a Tanner McAllister level impact or whether it is a Jonah Jackson, Trey Sermon level impact, Justin Fields level impact. But that almost goes on its own category. So I, I think there's reason for optimism that this could be, especially the other thing that's that's different here, too, is getting a guy that is going to keep developing in the case of Jonah Jackson, in the case of Trey Sermon, in the case of Tanner McAllister. You got a guy for one season, and you're trying to plug a hole for one season. Davison Igbenosan can be here for three more years and be essentially they found something that is so rare, which is a long term fix to something that had been a long term problem, something that had been kind of lingering. That the recruiting failures of the past kept showing up on the field at cornerback. He can be someone who stabilizes, helps stabilize that room for three years going forward. So one thing that I think is true when you evaluate the transfer portal is it has to be an equation. You can't only do one side of the equal sign, right? It's got to be both sides. So you have to think about what you're losing when you think about what you're bringing in. And so Alabama, for instance, Alabama has made waves with some big time dudes in the transfer portal again. You know, Jameer Gibbs last year and Jamison Williams the year before that. Their left tackle was a guy last year. Bama's been, but Bama also lost like 10 plus guys. Nick Saban's out there talking about how they had somebody on their team who, wanted Alabama to, to help their girlfriend get into law school and then pay for her law school, or they were going to leave in the portal. And Nick Saban is like proudly walking around telling stories about, we told that guy to get out of here. So you have to factor that in. It has to be both ways, Stephen. And in the end, this is basically a trade for J.K. Johnson. Mm-hmm. So this is very good. And I think we can all look at the raw numbers at corner, the recruiting issues of the past and say, yeah, hey, they needed help at corner. But really, they really needed to add somebody because they lost somebody that they thought they were counting on. So in the end, I mean, these guys are the same year. J.K. Johnson was – well, I guess J.K. No, Johnson's no, no. a year older. But J.K. JK Johnson didn't seem to play that well this year when he got opportunities at Ohio State. doesn't mean he wasn't going to be a great player down the line. But when you see this, Stephen, it's a little bit – treading water with Ohio State hopes it's an upgrade, but it's certainly not an upgrade in raw recruiting ranking because J.K. Johnson was a top 100 guy when he came in here. But if he can be what they thought J.K. Johnson was going to be and maybe will be at his next stop, this is good for Ohio State. But basically, Stephen, I just see it as them. it keeps them equal. Yeah, because they knew after the 2022 season that expect it you were going to lose one corner that's Cameron Brown that's one out the door while at the time you're probably bringing in three well 
You're bringing in two already with Jermaine Matthews and, and Calvin Simpson Hunt. You thought you were bringing in a third in Can Lee, but he ends up flipping the Auburn on signing day. So now you're already down an extra guy when you were expecting to get those numbers back to where they needed to be. So when you do run into situations like this past year, you're not scrambling. So at least you had J.K. Johnson coming. J.K. Johnson, Jordan Hancock, and Denzel Burke coming back to different levels, out of level experience. Well, J.K. Johnson decides to leave for LSU, so now you're really in trouble. You probably do need to go add a guy in the portal. From a talent standpoint, that's one discussion, but let alone talent, just from a number standpoint. Because as of, of, until he made this decision, the only guy you had who had actually played any meaningful way for you just because of how things have worked out was Denzel Burke. And you can't have that in a room that was already the problem child for this defense the year prior. So what do you do? As you said, you get a trade. You send one guy goes to the SEC. Well, you go get a guy from the SEC and you bring him back up here. While also, yes, J.K. Johnson from a recruiting standpoint was a higher rated guy. Coming out of high school, Davis and Igbenosin didn't even have an offer from Ohio State. But they've all played football now. Both of them played a, a decent amount of football last year that we can start to say, okay, who's the better football player now? And Davidson Igmanosin had a better year than J.K. Johnson. Plus, you're getting the extra year because he's not draft eligible after the 2023 season. So I think this is a decent pickup for Ohio State while also helping get the numbers back on track. J.K. Johnson has transferred to LSU, as yes. you mentioned, Stephen, down to the SEC. So there are two parts here, and I do want to talk about the numbers because I want us to run through – you know, the texters first was talking about roster management. So the idea of this is that the portal is like free agency. It's just a way to manage your roster beyond just recruiting. But specifically, let's stay with corners just on the top end, Nathan. Is he going to start? Is he going to play? Like, how how much is this guy like an instant impact? He's on the field in 2023, do you think? Well, I think there's every expectation that he will play. Now, whether he will start, I don't know. But I now adding someone with his credentials to this group, I don't know if I can say 100% that Denzel Burke will start or Jordan Hancock will start. I think that's the whole point here. You add another person into this room that raises the competitive level of this room, and now you've got to fight for two spots. When was the last time Ohio State, with everybody was healthy, really had a fight for the top two spots in the cornerback room? I think as much as guys like Denzel Burke and Cam Brown have played capably or better at, in at that position. There's also been a lot of times over these last couple of years where it's just sort of defaulted to who is there. Like Sean Wade in 2020 was just going to start at cornerback, whether he was really a cornerback or not. And there were some other, I guess, dynamics at play there, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's been a while since, and you remember this, Doug, like all those Kerry Combs years and you call you kind of got into him about it at one point about like, what is the dynamic here? Why do you have guys who are like, future first-round NFL draft picks coming off the bench. But that was the dynamic that could play out. They had too many cornerbacks for two spots back then. And I'm not saying that that's going to happen this year. I'm not going to say that these are three high-level NFL draft picks fighting for spots. And you can maybe Jair Brown builds off of his uh, solid freshman year and, and gets in the mix somehow. But it's, it's for Ohio State's entire defense, for the cornerback room to be getting back to a place where there's real fight for those spots, I think is important because – yeah, they were about to have the same dynamic as a year ago, where you only had six cornerback, six scholarship cornerbacks, and two of them were true freshmen. It was going to be almost a carbon copy of what they had last year, and that's not enough. But I would actually argue the bigger problem in 2022 was not depth, really. It was the guys who were expected to be starters all along, Denzel Burke, Cam Brown, had multiple games where we were like, what was going on out there? They just and, and now injuries affected that injuries affected the start of their year, how they could prepare. I'm I, I definitely I don't think that's 
making excuses. I think it's a legitimate thing that affected that. But end of the day, the high-level performance was not there in that cornerback room the way that, again, just judging it by the Ohio State standard, not even really judging it by the peak Ohio State standard, but just judging by, I think, the standard that Ohio State expects from every position. So that's what they have to get back to. They, those guys at the top of the depth chart have to be up a level in terms of performance this year. And bringing somebody in that makes it that much, you know, you, even if it just ends up being Burke and Hancock that start at the end of the day now, they're going to have to maybe prove it a little bit more in a different way than they would have if Igbenosum was not there. The, the numbers, though, are like – you're exactly right. Who are the two guys on the field and are they good? But the idea, we made a huge deal last year. They only have six scholarship quarterbacks. Ryan Day made a huge deal. And when we have, you know, the handy dandy, what is the ideal number of scholarship players at each position? The number Ryan Day said back in the day is eight, which it's basically four deep, right? That's the shorthand, four deep everywhere. If you have 22 starting positions, Four deep is 88. It's an 85-man roster plus three specialists you got to have. So there's some places you're not quite four deep. But four deep is the rough thing. They had six last year. And then, Steven, as we're just talking about, they think they're getting back to eight. And then one of the commits flips and J.K. Johnson transfers. And now you're back to six. You have to get somebody. Or Chip Trainum has to be a corner. You have to do something. Or so, David Johnson. I love Xavier Johnson. Marvin Harrison Jr. said Xavier Johnson's his favorite player. He might – I don't normally like – that's not oh, – I love – he could do it. If you gave him like a week, if you gave Xavier Johnson a week and locked him in a room with a playbook, he'd come out and be like, yeah, I, I can be like – I can be like the 17th best cornerback in the Big Ten, which is like pretty darn good. So they had to do this. And in terms, Stephen, of like this was not a – what like we could use it like they had to get a corner this is pretty good i think this is pretty good considering that once you lost those other two guys like this was moderately desperate i think you needed quantity but you needed quality and i mean we were kind of having this conversation a year ago when they brought tanner McAllister into the fold because we weren't really sure who was going to play that cover safety nickel safety slot position it's been so many different names over the past five years but we weren't really sure who was going to play it and there was a uh, I mean, you needed a guy, but I don't know if, like, this is the guy long-term. I think this is a long-term solution. I think this is a guy where whether it is a two guys just running with the position or it's a three-man through two spots rotation or maybe somebody makes it four, regardless of what it looks like, I, I agree. This is a guy who's going to play for you. And really an expectation is this is a guy, at least for the next two years, is going to play for you. And then obviously he's got a decision to make. But I, 23 and 24 – you don't bring a guy in of this caliber to sit. I think you bring a guy in, one, to raise the competition in the room. But, two, I think that he should be expecting to come in and I might be the best player in the room, just given off of what we've seen over the over this past season from these guys, injuries or not. So, Nathan, we had talked a lot about um, the idea that Ohio State just did not have corners that graded out very high last year, right? Did we say they didn't have a cornerback? In the top 100, Denzel Burke, his PFF grade last year among all cornerbacks who played at least half their team snaps, uh, his grade last year was he was 161 in all of college football. Igbenosin is not dissimilar. He is like in the 180s. He was 186. So his PFF grade last year, Nathan, 
was 66 overall. Denzel Burke was 67.9. We want to make sure people don't think this is like, this is not Jeffrey Okuda coming in, right? But he's played, he's played a lot in the SEC and you got something to work with. So, and again, it's, it's, he can compete with the guys that are here, but he's not going to walk in and take over the room necessarily, but it's a very good guy to add to the mix. Very good guy to add to the mix. Look, he has 10 starts in the SEC one year into his career. That's more starts than anywhere than the rest of the group besides Denzel Burke has in their career, right? Like this is, so you're getting a guy who knows what it means to be on the field. He played against Alabama. He played against Arkansas, played in a bowl game against Texas Tech. I was getting to watch some some clips of that earlier today. By the way, I just confirmed um, somebody did get back to me. He is enrolling for the spring. I was actually not 100% sure about that because we're this far into January. But he will be here for the spring. So this isn't like a thing where we're waiting until July for him to get in the mix here. Like right away, the cornerback room, the the – competition jumps up immediately like he'll be on campus he'll be in the mix and he'll be fighting for time and I think Steven's right I mean I don't know I'm not putting bets on whether he's the best cornerback but I think if you know he's going to get some attention coming in rightfully so and if I'm Denzel Burke I'm Jordan Hancock I probably was already thinking I this is my chance to prove I'm actually the best cornerback Ohio State has and the competition for that's going to be a little bit tougher if you don't like hearing some of the and I agree with you, Doug, that we, I think we do need to put it in the right context that, I mean, even calling him a freshman All-American, what's like the biggest determinate, determination of how someone's a freshman All-American? They play a lot as a freshman. <laughs> like That's how you're a lot of times a freshman All-American at, at positions like that. So um, he didn't have any interceptions. I was watching him on, uh, I was watching his clips. You know, you see a guy who there are good things. I see him coming up and being physical in the run game or willing to you know, attack at the line of scrimmage when that's there. You know, sometimes they're playing soft coverages and he's coming up and hitting guys on screens and stuff. There are times where he's coming up and, and, and making hits in the run games, not always making the tackle, but making the hit and, and being aggressive when he needs to be. I saw some good things in coverage. I saw some things that were lapses in coverage, as you would expect from any true freshman that's playing in the SEC or playing in a bowl game. So there's, there's good stuff here. And Ohio State uh, needed more guys who you could just say there's demonstrable first string good stuff here about and and again this is somebody that should have already been in the program like it it takes the I made this analogy on on the text about how it sort of does take the place of J.K. Johnson in some way in that except it's it's an upgrade because in J.K. Johnson you had a former top 100 guy who wasn't really performing that well wasn't living up to that expectation and now here's a guy who was more like top 200 but had kind of overachieved based on that expectation. I think you you sort of corrected a recruiting thing, both in uh, in a numbers miss and in a potential talent mi- or misfire. Uh, you've corrected both of those things here a little bit. It's also, I think, just as important since we the recruiting aspect of this, he is higher rated than both of the guys who are technically in his recruiting class on this roster, Jair Brown and Ryan Turner, who we saw a little mm. bit of Brown last year when he got a chance to start against Wisconsin. I think he did pretty solid. And, We'll see if he continues to progress, but we didn't see Ryan Turner at all last year. So as much as this is a, a okay, J.K. Johnson didn't look all that great. Jordan Hancock, we might love him, but he wasn't healthy. And maybe Denzel Burke didn't take the next step the way we thought he would because he wasn't healthy. Well, it's not like any of the, either the true freshmen did enough either. So it's not like they're going to go get the plug and play or a guy who's a junior. Who, they're going to go get a true sophomore who's when they have two true sophomores on the roster who – Jire Brown showed enough, but he didn't show – neither one of those guys showed enough that made them feel like they could just go get a plug and play 
one guy here in this situation like we've seen with other transfers. And that was the other thing that I was According saying. According to PFF. Oh, go ahead, Dave. Sorry, just real quick. That was the other thing I was saying about the depth, too. Like, this is a couple years in a row where Ohio State has had to turn to true freshmen very early in the year and hope things go okay at cornerback. And adding this guy on top of the room pushes that back a little bit. You may not have to ask someone like Jermaine Matthews or Calvin Simpson Hunt, especially who's not coming in until the summer. You may not have to ask them to come in and play very early in the year in a real way. According to PFF, he played the fourth most snaps among true freshman corners last year. So that's sort of what you're talking about, Nathan. It's like, oh, it's a freshman All-American. Well, he played, which is a credit to him. He played, but it's sure, it's not sure, sure. not that many guys play this this much at corner this early. You know, Denzel Burke did the year before, for instance. So I do think in the end, the thing about J.K. Johnson, just that situation, the thing that makes you a little, mm, is I've seen plenty of guys who the first time, the first year they get on the field at Ohio State, it's a little rough. And then they learn from that. They have an offseason. Now they've got some snaps under them. And then when they get to year three, it's like, oh, there's that recruiting ranking. Okay, it was in there. It was just a little rough first time around. I certainly think that's possible, J.K. Johnson. So, um, But level of play is level of play. And in the end, this is a room where they want eight. Igbenosin gives them seven. Three of those seven are guys who have never played. Two true freshmen who we've talked about a lot. When we did the depth chart podcast defensively, we talked about the two true freshmen a lot. And Ryan Turner, who who basically didn't play last year. So he is one of four guys who have played, and Jordan Hancock's barely played. So it's Denzel Burke, this guy, who have really played college football at corner on a serious level. Then Jair Brown, a, a sum. Jordan Hancock, a tiny bit, and three guys who haven't played at all. That's your room. So that's where they are. And let's do this because, again, the texter asked about roster management. We always like to talk about numbers. According to our scholarship chart, Nathan, where we have them right now, if they do, in fact, have two kickers on scholarship, and if they do, in fact, have a long snapper on scholarship right now, which is how we have them listed, they'd be four over. From what we have, offense and defense, they're at 85, and then they have four specialists. So I'll just run through real quick, and we can talk about this. Ryan Day says they want four quarterbacks. They have four. He says they want five running backs. They have five. He says they want 11 receivers. They have 13. So there's a little room. It makes you, raises your eyebrows, Stephen, like a half inch of like, hmm, could there be somebody in that room after spring who makes a determination a little bit, maybe like Mookie Cooper did after mm-hmm. year one, where you kind of look and say, okay, yep. maybe this is not, we're not pushing anybody out the door, but that's 13 receivers. Steven is a lot. That second year class is interesting because I mean, Jaden Bowers is expected to say he's on his path right now. He's doing what he's supposed to do. We know about the returning guys. I think Xavier Johnson probably threw off those numbers a little bit, but it's that second year group of receivers if we get, especially since the five-star freshman's not here, if we get to the end of the spring and it feels like some of the freshmen are starting to jump, some of these second-year guys, I would, I think they're an intriguing. I, I would keep my eye on those second-year guys because they didn't do much as fresh. We haven't seen them, and it's 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 one thing to have not do anything your freshman year. It's another thing to go through another spring and the guy under you is jumping you. So in our chart, we have Xavier Johnson as a receiver. We have Chip Trainum as a running back. So Trainum's part of the five. Xavier Johnson's part of the 13. Nathan, offensive line, um, 
They have 18. We have 18 guys on our scholarship chart. Ryan Day has said 16 is maybe, you know, what they're looking for. Nathan, it feels like maybe they're a little heavy there. And is there is this group of fourth-year guys who are kind of those lower-rated guys in that class. And we're not shoving anybody out the door, but I could maybe see a guy or two after spring feeling like, man, I'm not, I'm on third team. I'm a fourth year guy on third team. Maybe there's a better place for me to try to get on the field, Nathan. hundred percent. And we've seen it every year and that's just the nature of college football now. And to some extent probably has always been, it's not like transfers were just invented four or five years ago, the way some people talk about it, but that, yeah, I think you're going to see guys who stick around for another spring who find out where they are on the depth chart at that point, And then, probably look for another spot if if it if they don't make a climb six tight ends Ryan Day says they want five but I think they're they're pretty good there they're glad Cade they had to be ready in case Cade Stover wasn't back they're super glad that he is back so they're fine on tight end that's 46 scholarship guys on offense which is a little heavy usually I mean if you get to your 85 it's usually 41 41 and three specialists so 46 on offense is a little heavy defensively they have six defensive ends. Ryan Day says they want eight. So they're a little light there. They have eight defensive tackles, which is the number they want. They have eight linebackers, which is the number they want. They have seven corners. They say they want eight. And they have 10 safeties. And I think they want 11. So, Nathan, they're only at 39 scholarship defensive players. That's with this transfer edition. So they also, they they could be scuffling around. I don't know if Chip Trainum and Xavier Johnson can play defensive line, but they also might be keeping their eyes open at a couple other spots, or they might just be a little light. I guess also we have still have Mitchell Melt. We have Mitchell Melt like as a linebacker. If he's actually a jack, right. rush in. Like again, there's a little flexibility with how you characterize guys. So maybe that would bring it to seven. But still 39 scholarship players on defense is under, is under where they think they want to be. If you want to be 41-41, 46-39 is pretty out of balance. I don't think it's desperate, Nathan, but it's a little odd. It's a little odd, and even if you flip the the chip train them back to the linebacker room, that brings the defense closer to where it's supposed to be, but offense is still you know a little bulky for, for those numbers. And, you know, really a lot of the attrition that has happened from the transfer side of things, the outgoing transfers – there have been a lot of DBs the last couple of years, and they weren't DBs who were getting on the field. They weren't DBs who were making an impact or who were necessarily, I think, thought of as locks to be long-term impact guys. But from a depth standpoint, it has cost them a little bit. I think it it puts uh, it, it, you can either see it as like a bad thing or it creates the opportunity. You know, we've always talked about young guys getting buried. Well, they may not get buried on defense in this coming year because there's guys who may need to or have the opportunity to push up the depth chart pretty fast. And Steven, I think on defensive line, right, they maybe thought they were going to have another defensive lineman in this year's recruiting class that they didn't get. And then you think yeah. about just even a couple of years ago, guys like Jacoby Cowan, Darian Henry Young. There are a couple guys that maybe would have been around here as like fourth year depth guys who are already out the door. So you can see how they wind up maybe a guy or two short on the defensive line right now. Yeah, yeah. When you, I mean, you locked in on Damon Wilson, Keon Keeley, and uh, Mateo Williams. Well, yeah, you went 0 for 3 when you were hoping that you at least went 1 for 3. So, that, but even that's not a large number, but that's a big time guy. And sometimes big time guy makes up for the lack of depth because big time guy typically isn't coming off the field. But to Nathan's point, it's not just, you know, the transfer portal where they've been losing DBs. They've had seven 
DBs decommit from a recruiting class since Ryan Day took over as head coach. And then obviously Legend Cavazos ended up recommitting, but then transferred anyway later on down the trail. But yeah, that's been of the, it's the, the, the defensive recruiting is where you see most of the decommitments. But then if you really focus in, it's at cornerback. Like, I mean, Clark Phillips still wouldn't be on this roster in 23, given the way things have gone. But if you had a guy like Devontae Smith, you know, Jaheim Singletary, Terrence Brooks, even Kay and Lee in this past class, there it's it's showing up. On, in, in situations like this, and now you're seeing it start to trickle into other positions because you lose guys like Desan McCullough, Tamisi Adelaye. So the defensive rec- – it's, it's not so much just the transfer portal where you're losing defensive guys. Defensive recruiting has been hurting, and we've been talking about that for a lot long time. And we, But we do feel like outside of the Michigan and Georgia game this year, that defense showed it's, it's at least progressing enough that the defensive recruiting may start to get better here down the line. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. There's a couple things happening on defense that we'll get to on some other rapid fires. In the end, when people think about Ohio State and the transfer portal, Nathan, you sort of talked about it off the top. I I do think there can be some angst, and I don't think there should be angst because when you they are not having waves of dudes leave. They are not having prime. Now, the flips, Stephen is like, hey, when you lose a guy late in the recruiting process, it's almost like a transfer because you sort of you're counting on him, you're saving a spot for him. Maybe you slow played or didn't recruit other guys because you thought you were going to get this guy. And then again, to to go zero for three on those defensive ends, that's almost like losing a transfer because they thought they were maybe going to get two, at least get one, as you said, Stephen. But Nathan, when they get here, they're not bolting. And so this NAL discussion, right, it, and it's discuss, discussion that when Ohio State thought about it originally, it was like, we got to keep our guys here. That's our NAL priority. Now they've migrated. They realize they've got to do more in recruiting. But I think they're okay. And a, a year ago, the big conversation in the portal for Ohio State was allow, around Eli Ricks. And he was going to transfer from LSU. He had been a guy who had been interested in Ohio State as a recruit. Ohio State basically was like, no, we like Hancock and Johnson. We don't want to shove our own guys down the depth chart. We'll pass on him. And now J.K. Johnson transferred. Oh, my gosh. They had all the, they had to play Jair Brown as a true freshman last year. Eli Lick, Ricks last year at Bama, he played 384 snaps. He had a 69.9 grade. He left for the NFL. He was hurt in the beginning of the year. He played nine games. He played their third most cornerback snaps at Bama and he played 384 and the guy at number four played 381. So like not, I think you have to think about Nathan that you have to think about the portal both generally and specifically. So a year ago, I think generally could Ohio state have used a corner in the portal a year ago, probably in the end. Yes. The way that they only had six guys on scholarship, they had all these injuries. They were playing young guys. They could have used an extra guy last year. Was it catastrophic for them that they didn't take Eli Ricks? Was Eli Ricks the difference between beating Georgia and not beating Georgia? And I know he would have been playing by the end of the year, and they did have snafus in the secondary. But I don't know that specifically that move was catastrophic, right? I I, I think he probably would have helped them some. Generally, they could have used it. But like I don't think, as you said off the bat, Nathan, I don't think they're failing in the portal because I think the scales are pretty balanced. You know, this new guy for J.K. Johnson, that's balance. So you don't, you know, like, in, and and they're actually over on numbers. Like, they've got to balance out the roster here. But I think if people have angst over the portal, I, I don't know that they should. 
I would agree that I think the balance there, I would actually even almost say that Ohio State is still coming out ahead on balance just in terms of the impact that they get of the transfers that actually come here compared to the impact of the ones who leave. I'm dating back, you know, three, four years now with that, but I, that's that's proven out, you know, Fields, J, uh, Jonah Jackson, et cetera, on through. Noah Ruggles, Trey Sermon, Tanner McAllister. Like all those guys make bigger impacts at Ohio State than the guys Ohio State loses into the portal um, costs them. And I, I would even say I, the one thing I would disagree with you a little bit, though, is like, I think even generally, I think you look back on last year and say, yes, they need they could have used another cornerback, but it had to be a cornerback of a certain caliber. It having another cornerback of of that that played as well as J.K. Brown, J.K. Johnson, or Jair Brown. I'm not slamming those guys, but someone who plays at that level doesn't change their season. They got that level of play from those guys, and they played all season. So it had to be somebody. That's what I've tried to explain. It has to be somebody of that higher caliber that you can bring in. And and Ricks on paper would have been that, but I would agree with you that for even at the time with his injury history and injury risk, some of the other things that went along with that, it probably wasn't the right dynamic. And I understand why Ohio State didn't didn't go that way. So that's the other thing I would just always remember. Like I think people sometimes get caught up, and it's it, one thing that's also affected this is they've seen. Michigan, for instance, go in the portal and get, you know, some high impact guys and get a lot of guys even like they, they, they go to the portal a lot. And I think sometimes there's this, they look at portal the same way as they look at recruiting in some ways. And it's not the, the portal is so much more of a strategic strike than recruiting ever is. It should be. Anyway. I also think sometimes time, time just teaches you a lesson a little bit. J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock had given us no reason a year ago to not at least in some way believe that we really like when Ohio State says we really like our guys or when somebody says we really like our guys. That's why we don't want to come and mess that up. Those two are still on schedule. Top 100 recruits coming in the second year who are ready to play. We had been hearing really good things about Jordan Hancock. I mean, you can't predict people getting abducted by aliens, and so it throws a lot of that stuff off. If we live, let's for the sake of a hypothetical, what if Jordan Hancock hadn't had a hamstring issue that started in fall camp? What if he had just been healthy? And we Cameron Brown probably would have dealt with something because history tells us that Cameron Brown is going to have to deal with something throughout the season. But what if Denzel Burke didn't get to a point where he had to have a surgery on his finger in the middle of the season? What if they had just been healthy and both of those guys took the next step? Then we're not sitting here having a conversation about, oh, they didn't go after Eli Ricks because it wouldn't matter because Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock would have taken that next step that made it make make sense why they didn't go after Eli Ricks regardless of what he was doing down in Alabama. But because that didn't happen, now we're sitting here having that conversation. But also this year around, when you're basically in the exact same position, you only have six cornerbacks and there's a guy in the corner that you probably should look at. You can't go, oh, we believe in our young guys, Jair Brown and Ryan Turner this time because you used that a year ago and it didn't work. So this time around, when you go get a, the Eli Ricks kind of situation here in terms of, I mean, at that point, Eli Ricks was awesome as a freshman, but he had had so many injuries that he was never really that again. So from that standpoint, you go get the Eli Ricks this time around because you can't use that excuse again. So sometimes you just need time to teach you a lesson when you make, make decisions like that. I do think, right, the guys... Hancock and Johnson were highly rated guys that they were counting on. The guys, Jair Brown and Ryan Turner, aren't quite at that level, so it doesn't mm -hmm. feel like you're jumping them in quite the same way. So I think that applies here. But I do also think, I think 
just Ryan Day in general, the way last year went with some of the injuries, some of the depth issues, I just think might be 20% more open to the portal than he was a year ago at this time. And I think the thing that's hard is, so this guy, this guy is, is it's almost like one of those when, when teams trade for a player, right? There's a lot of teams in the pro sports who will trade for a player, but especially if it's a smaller market team, I feel like the Cavs and the guardians sort of fit into this. They don't want to necessarily trade at the trade deadline for a guy who's going to be a free agent right away because mm-hmm. they don't want to give up stuff for a guy. But if it's a free agent plus one, where it's like, we're going to get at least a year and a half out of this guy. They're more open to the deal because they don't want to be an in and out, in and out, quick fix for three months kind of place. And I think maybe, maybe that's where Ohio State is too. Because as you said, Stephen, this guy, this guy was, might be a two or three year starter here, right? This is not a quick fix. This is a, a guy who can help right away, but also maybe be a long-term fix. But I'm also very curious. The guy that I think is like really interesting that I'll be curious how it affects Ohio State. Jameer Gibbs was just so good for Alabama last year. And and it's not even numerically. You know, I, I think he only ran for like 900 and some yards. But you just, like, I thought in their bowl game. Because Bama balled out in this bowl game, man. And, it, like, Jameer Gibbs was just doing stuff. It was like, that is what it looks like when you have a run game with a guy who, if nothing's there, he's going to create something on his own. And so I'll be very curious Again, the way Jamison Williams dropped into that Bama offense, like ready-made. I'll be curious if they're more aggressive, Nathan, for the next ready-made one year. This guy is already a legitimate star. We're not talking freshman All-American. We're talking about like this guy is a, a first-team all-conference player, like a Jonah Jackson type, but maybe at even a more high-profile position. That maybe a year from now, let's say a year from now, we're talking about their little light at defensive end. What if there's a defensive end who is like, hey, this guy was the he was first team all Big 12 at Kansas State. And he's gonna be a third year guy and he come wants to come play for Larry Johnson for one year. And they think he's a 12th that guy. And yeah, they have these uh, Mari Abar and and Kenyatta Jackson, whatever, but also we think this guy's a 12th sack guy. I think Nathan, maybe they will be more open to that now than maybe they would have been a year ago. What do you think of that idea? Uh, well, it's funny you mentioned that because that's the exact position I was thinking of. And I think they might have to be more open to it a year from now, because what is the defensive line this coming season? Third year, JT Tuamaloau, third year, Jack Sawyer, third year, Mike Hall, third year, Tyleek Williams, fourth year, Ty Hamilton. Like they're going to have a ton of draft eligible guys who've already made some noise. And, uh, it's something that this could be a big exodus out of this room a year from now. You have some guys who are still around, and especially at defensive end, Curry, Kenyatta Jackson, Omari Abor. There's some guys there that can probably do something, but I think just defensive line in general. Uh, we've talked about this before, that like the one thing about the transfer portal that has surprised us a little bit is that we sort of assumed that the, the, they would put out the bat signal more, and guys around the country would just be like, wait a second, Ohio State needs a starting Whatever position, that's my position. I can go there and start, and they just come do it. And that ha- that dynamic hasn't really happened, but uh, maybe there's a way to, to sort of get that rolling a little bit more, and, and they can maybe start putting that notice out now that you know they're going to need, most likely, some immediate help on the defensive line at this time next year. I think the defensive line is the best example of this because, yes, 
go get the dude who's ready-made who might end up just being like a first or second round draft pick the way Jamison Williams and Jameer Gibbs were, but also the stars aligned in those two spots where it's Alabama just like didn't have a receiver because they're losing their best two. They just put out four first round draft picks from last two drafts. They just didn't have any, they didn't have a number one guy. So they needed a Jamison Williams. They didn't really have a running back they could lean on. So they needed a Jameer Gibbs. It was those two situations are very similar to, when Ohio State wouldn't got Justin Fields because you look at the options that are on your roster and it's like, eh, compared to this guy who might be a superstar, they probably don't go after Justin Fields if Dwayne Haskins was in this class or if their own 2018 quarterback wasn't, you know, Matthew Baldwin, but a top 100, top 50 recruit who was in his second year after sitting around behind Dwayne Haskins for a year and now he's ready to be the starter. You don't do that. Defensive line is the only spot next year, this off the top of maybe everybody's heads here, where you're not really sure when you look at your roster in comparison to what the, the stars will align in that situation where you might need to go get the ready-made guy who might be a 12-sack guy who's in the portal because you don't have that on your roster the same way. But that, that's not all. I don't know if that's necessarily consistently been the case at Ohio State the way it was for Alabama these last two two or three years here. Okay, I think I can't put rapid fire in the headline of this podcast because we just did 40 minutes on the first question. (laughs) But I think we'll go slightly faster on the following questions. And we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Question two. We're going to talk about James Laurinaitis. We're going to talk about – I have a thing I need to ask you guys about chicken bones. But we're mostly going to talk about James Laurinaitis and Jim Knowles and the defense – so there's a couple Jim Knowles questions here that I'll lump together as question two. When Knowles took over at Oklahoma State, it took three or four years before the defense got really good. Same expectation here. Why or why not? Why or why not? So I don't actually have the the uh, number, the name, or the area code for that. But I think that's a really good question, as is this from the 802. It's um, from Jeffersonville, Vermont. It's Michael. I moved here five years ago from the Philly Burbs. Do you think Jim Knowles' defense will jump based on the young talent and the second year that many players have been in the scheme? Yes, no, and does this open the door for younger guys who don't have multiple years under a different scheme uh, to maybe get a chance to play? It, meaning, can you invest in young guys who can grow in the scheme? So so I think the main question here is, Jim Knowles in year two, what will that look like? And just as a baseline, Looking at the Football Outsiders defensive rankings, Nathan, you're nodding your head. I think maybe you've looked up the same thing. Oklahoma State, it did take a little time. In 2017, the year before Jim Knowles got to Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State's defense, according to the F-plus defensive ratings for Football Outsiders, was 40th. 2018, Jim Knowles' first year, they were 76th, so they went back. But then 2019-49, 2020-13, 2021, four. And again, in 2021, Oklahoma State was four. Ohio State was 31. That's why Ohio State gave gave Jim Knowles $2 million a year to come here. In 2022, Nathan, as we know, Ohio State jumped from 31st the year before to 15th. So in year one at Oklahoma State, Jim Knowles was 76th in overall defense. This year, he's 15th. That's much better. But they got better every year under him at Oklahoma State. I do just think maybe you can spin it faster on defense, especially like Ryan Day. Hey, we, we've got Justin Fields to transfer. Boom, let's go. Lincoln Riley's like, hey, Caleb Williams came with me. We got Jordan Addison the portal. Boom, let's go. 
you get the right quarterback, I think you can spin it pretty quick on offense. It does make sense to me that it might take a little bit longer on defense. So what should we expect, Nathan, in year two? Significantly better? How are we evaluating this? Well, the other thing that is the the factor in that steady four-year improvement for Knowles at Oklahoma State was that team that he, that defense he had in 2021 that finished fourth in the country was very veteran. Like that was a lot of older guys. And uh, that is not what Ohio State had last year. Obviously, they were turning to a lot of younger guys or guys who, even if they were around, I'm thinking of people like Tommy Eichenberg, like they had played some, but were not, uh, you know, had not been consistent first string guys before that. And now you're going to have a defense in 2023 that even though you lose Ronnie Hickman, you lose Zach Harrison. You lose a couple guys here and there, uh, Cam Brown. You are returning a lot of guys. And this will tie into another question that we're talking about later, I suppose. But that's, I think, the hallmark there is is it's not just him and his brain and his wizardry that's helping those teams progress. Some of it is just a natural progression that you're going to get. But I think it it makes sense that he was also coming in and implementing a, a new system. I mean, it was guys who were... Uh, having to learn some new things some new ways of playing new terminology new uh expectations on defense and, and responsibilities for every position and it would just make natural sense that especially if it's largely the same group of guys that can be a better team in that second year i i, th- I think it makes sense so I, I, and the, again the, the starting point is so much better that they weren't 76th in the country in year one the way Oklahoma State was. And Stephen, I'm just going to tie in the next two questions here because this really is about Jim Knowles in year two and overall defensive identity at Ohio State. One question is this from the 813. Do you think Ohio State is a glorified Big 12 team? We rely on offense and the defense has consistently let us down in big spots as of late. 2018 was a disaster. 2019 was solid, but I argue was a little skewed against mostly weak competition. And the defense gave up the final touchdown to Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl with relative ease. 2021 was Swiss cheese. This past year was improved, but not good enough. I think we are a slightly better version of Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma teams. So that's not so great. But now this other person, Stephen, asked from the 768, do you think this Ohio State 2023 team could look like the Ohio State 2019 team? First year starter at quarterback, Justin Fields then, Kyle McCord or Devin Brown now. Experienced skill positions all around on offense, few holes to plug on the O-line, and almost all the defensive pieces returning. So I want to stay on the defense focus of that. Here's the thing, Stephen. When we think about Ohio State's recent history, 2019 F-plus are the best defense in the country. They're number one. So yeah, I guess they gave it up to Clemson in the, in the semifinal at the end. That's also Trevor Lawrence being Trevor Lawrence. There was the targeting. Like, There's all the stuff, right? But they were legitimately a very good defense. And I do think it that was a weak schedule the whole way through. So I think we take maybe 10%, just that, take that in mind for that whole 2019 season. But overall, 2018, Ohio State 33rd, 2019 first, 2020 24th, 2021 31st, and now an improvement to 15th. Stephen, which do you more agree with? That this could be like 2019, which to me means, hey, you got a veteran defense back and they're pretty darn good, or Ohio State's the new Oklahoma, see you later, silver bullets. Public places to be at. Um. <laughs> yeah. No, that is. It's like you're either Chase Young 
or yeah. Alex Grinch. Yeah. You're either the Silver Bullets or you're Norman Junior High. Which are you? There's no in between. <laughs> it's funny because most styles of defense have gotten Ohio State to the playoff all but one year. But 2019, but a lot closer to the middle than I am to the hyperbolic 2019, just because some of this is, is, is answering the, the, the original question here of do we expect the defense to gradually get better just like we saw in Oklahoma? Well, even Jim Knowles will tell you that's not a good basis to, to, to use at Ohio State because just the base level of talent he's dealing with is higher. And that four, he even said, I don't have four years. We need to start seeing that improvement from week one to week 12. The same way we that four-year improvement needs to happen in 12 weeks just because your talent level is higher. And I think that I don't, the one thing about 2018, now that we look back on it, especially after we saw 2019, which was basically the exact same group of people minus Draymond Jones, as far as impact players, was that the problem was not the talent. The problem was the coaching, especially the play calling on game day and how much they had these players doing. I do think that a lot of that can be applied to 2022 in terms of Zach Harrison was very good this year. I thought JT had a quality year. I thought Jack has his moments outside of cornerback. I mean, Tommy Eichenberg was a bona fide All-American this year. Steel Chambers showed growth this year. I thought the safeties had a quality year outside, really, of that Georgia game. I thought guys took their steps. So the talent has not been the issue. I thought the issue was Jim Knowles made some interesting play calls in moments that you probably shouldn't be making interesting play calls, and it spirals from that standpoint. So, I mean, if Jim Knowles learns from some of that stuff and maybe picks his spots a little bit better, along with the talent making its natural progression, I don't see why this defense can't continue to be better than it was the year before. But it has nothing to do with the fact that I, didn't, I never felt like this year individual players didn't know what they were doing. And that's how it felt in the 2018 season. So that, that I, I wouldn't even use you know, the comparison of, oh, guys have been in the system a year longer, so they know what they're doing, unless we're talking about the Jack position. But even that might be starting from scratch again if Jack Sawyer is not the one playing it. I don't think they're Oklahoma because culturally, Nathan, I I don't think they would settle for that. I don't think they would stand for that. I Lincoln Riley kept Alex Grinch as the defensive coordinator. He he backed him, and they are not making a change this offseason. I'll be very curious where USC is a year from now. But Lincoln Riley, of all the things that Lincoln Riley has done very well – He's never been able to get the defense straight at Oklahoma. It's never been a championship level defense. They've always, they're trying to get to the point where the defense is average so the offense can carry them. I, I don't think Ryan Day wants that. I don't think he wants an average defense carried by the offense. I think they, as much as Ohio State has evolved and has changed, I think there is a legacy here. I think there's a heartbeat of defense within this program. And I do think in the Midwest, in this part of the country, you should – the hardest part actually here – well, it's not easy to recruit receivers and quarterbacks, right? No spring football in Ohio, that kind of thing. I think corners probably fits in there. But I, you should be able to recruit like defensive linemen and linebackers at Ohio State to be – listen, Iowa's good at defense. Wisconsin's good at defense. Like there are Big Ten teams that are good at defense that can't figure out how to get three yards per play offensively. So I I just don't think Nathan culturally, I I just don't think they're headed down that path to where you would be legitimately making a comparison between the Ohio State program and the Oklahoma Lincoln Riley program. 
Do you do you think they would be headed that way? I don't. And, and more to the point, when Ohio State gets on the field with Georgia in a playoff game, it looks like it belongs there. And when Oklahoma had those opportunities in similar situations, it did not. I think that's also a, an important thing to remember here, too, that no matter how Ohio State has stumbled on a couple of occasions and in, in, mostly it's been in one specific matchup. Um, I don't think you color the whole program like that. I also look at like the, the, the lowest point of those things, you know, when, when Oklahoma really fell off or had, had worse years, um, they're still, they're not still in playoff contention. Even when Ohio state was 10 and two, it was right in playoff contention going into the, the Michigan game. So all those things, no, I, I don't really see this as being something that trends towards that direction. Um, but, but, and I think you're right that part of this is, what the expectation is on a on a week to week basis in the league that they play in, I think that Ohio State has to recruit in in a different way because this is the Big Ten, and as much as they're going to win with offense and they're 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 overwhelming people with offense, I think part of it is just having the identity of being a Big Ten team means you're going to have to live up to that reputation on defense. So, given all that, I also don't know that the comparison to 19 is from a defensive standpoint is where you are going to be either, because I still think they are a little short in raw talent defensively, Stephen, when you compare it to something like a Chase Young, Jeff Okuda defense. Show me the Jeff Okuda on the 2023 defense. Show me the Chase Young on the 2023 defense. If, if you want to come back in November and say Denzel Burke and JT Tuimolowau, boom, they're both surefire first-round picks, great. We're not there right now. I don't think we're right there right now. So I think Knowles is here to fix the scheme. But everything we just talked about in the previous segment, Stephen, about defensive recruiting, they are still a step down. From from top level talent, one through eleven on defense, and I'll have a stat here in a second. But I think that's still true. I don't think that has been completely answered. Even though Tommy Eichenberg was really good this year, and even though Jack and JT are five star guys, and Mike Hall has great potential, I still, I still don't think it compares to Ohio State at its very best defensively, which in twenty nineteen it was. I know you use JT and Denzel as examples just because they're probably the best guys in that room off of coming off of last year. But, I mean, we've at least seen JT show that he has that in him. Now, can he? the difference is Chase Young did it for 13 games. Well, 11 because he missed two games. But they did it for full season. Nick Bosa was doing it for a full season. So can JT take that next step? Denzel hasn't shown me he's headed in the Den- Jeff Okuda direction or at least shown me that that level of the game Jeff Okuda showed you that in 2018 in the Rose Bowl that okay there it is now can you just do it all season at least JT's done that part so at least from that you can say all right maybe you can you can start to fathom it in your head that maybe JT gets there but it's not so much the defensive line recruiting because I think the defensive line recruiting has been fine it's just every five-star you get isn't going to be one of the greatest players of all time it's really the back seven and really the secondary at that, because even at linebacker, that problem has been improved. Now it's just, can CJ Hicks get on the field in year two? Can Gabe Powers or Reed Carrico, as top 100 recruits, get on the field? But the sec- we keep coming back to the secondary because there's not a Jeff Okuda player, but there's also not a Jeff Okuda recruit. And that's where it starts. So I, I agree with you. It's 
they're not Oklahoma because they're not going to get into the playoff and give up 70 points to somebody. They were also barely scoring 30. But they're also not 2019 because there is not the dude that you can at least start to think in your mind might be the bona fide dude, even if you haven't seen it, you know, consistently yet. So the stat I was looking up here is between 2014 and 2020, those seven years in the NFL draft, Ohio State had 13 defensive, not overall, 13 defensive players taken in the first round. <laughs> they had two in 2014, none in 2015, three in 2016, three in 2017, one in 2018, one in 2019, and three in 2020. Off that 2019 defense, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, all first-round picks. 13 first-round draft picks just off the defense in seven years. That's almost two per year. 2021, no first-round picks from the defense. 2022, no, the highest defensive player picked was Tyreek Smith at num- in the fifth round. And this year, I don't think it's going to be anybody either. Zach Harrison, I guess, if he goes bonkers – at the combine or, you know, maybe, but the best players in the draft is going to be two offensive tackles. By the way, Dewan Jones, right? You follow along on Twitter. Dewan Jones apparently has lifted the stadium in Mobile, Alabama off its base and thrown it into the Gulf of Mexico. He measured, they said he has the longest wingspan in the history of the senior bowl. And there were people down there who were covering it, who were just like putting up clips of Dewan Jones, just building a wall and defensive ends running into him. And like based off five minutes of early senior bowl evaluation, I think Dewan Jones might be a first round pick. Like people are falling in love. So that's not completely shocking to us because we've been having that conversation, but Dewan Jones day one of senior bowl practice on Tuesday was down there earning himself some money. So who are we talking about? And by the way, Jackson Smith and Jigba is feeling disrespected because Ohio state put out a little video about someone, this was the slight. There was like a draft guy who said, I have Jackson Smith and Jigba as my wide receiver three. They're like, and they were like, oh, watch out for this. Garrett Wilson wasn't even the first receiver. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson weren't wide receiver one in their own draft. And by the way, wide receiver one is Quentin Johnston, who looks like the second coming of Calvin Johnson. So it's it's not a slight, but he's feeling disrespected. But anyway, Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, and Jackson Smith and Jigba are going to be the primary stories of this draft class for Ohio State. I think Zach Harrison has a chance to be a very good NFL player, and I bet you he's a day two pick. But the bottom line, Nathan, long-winded, seven years, 13 first-round picks defensively in seven years. This is probably going to be the third year in a row with no first-round pick off the Ohio State defense. And it is, I don't think, a coincidence that the defense has not been as good And then you see this. There still is a talent component here that is not all the way back to Ryan Shazier, Malik Hooker, Marshawn Lattimore, Bosa Brothers, Chase Young kind of level. And we've had people in our audience who've been quick to point out like, hey, you guys know that like 2019 is also kind of the outlier. Like Ohio State was not really even in those years. They weren't the number one defense in the country, right? They weren't a dominant defense a lot of those years. But when you're putting multiple first round NFL draft picks on the field, the the difference that makes is obvious. Guys who can come up and make a play for you and you absolutely need one. And that has been lacking in the biggest games of the past couple of years 
very obviously. And we, we said that this defense going into last year needed one of the things it needed was regardless of who was going to be coordinating, it was more star power. Like they needed to have guys who stepped up and asserted themselves in a real way more often. And I think you saw it in pretty consistently, well, frankly, from, from uh, Tommy Eichenberg and you saw it in, in, bursts from other people. You saw Zach Harrison have some of the best games of his career. You saw JT Tuomaloao have a game that ranks among the best ever played by a defensive end in the Big Ten, if not beyond. Like you saw some in Mike Hall, what he was doing early last year. You saw it in chunks. And now all those guys that I just mentioned, except for Zach Harrison, are coming back and have a chance to more consistently play at that level. And that would be a, a huge thing for this defense. And it would be the kind of thing that pushes some of those guys into that that first round conversation again I think I would push back a little bit on the idea that 2019 was an outlier again if you go by these defensive plus rankings from football outsiders they had the 15th best defense in the country when they won the national title in 2014 the next three years 2015 16 17 fourth fourth fifth so they had a top five defense three straight years then they fell off a cliff, relatively speaking, right, to 33rd right. in 2018 because Greg Schiano decided to have the linebackers ride piggyback on the defensive tackles. And it was like, well, get him out of here. And then they came back to 2019 and were great. And then they had two down years. And then Jim Knowles started to get them back. So it's like, what's the outlier? You can look at 18, 20, and 21, and they're ranked between 24 and 33. And then you can look at 19 when they were first and say, well, that's an outlier. Well, there was a time when you looked at 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and for those five years, they had a top five defense. And the outlier was when they were 33rd in 2018, which is why Greg Schiano was gone. Mm -hmm. So so which is it? Like, which is the outlier? Again, you probably, with this style of offense and the way things have evolved, I think 4, 4, 5, 1 is, is probably a smidge too high to expect. But generally... For Ohio State to be a top 10 defense, like for 15 under yeah. Knowles to be like, okay, that was much better, but it should be that or better pretty much every year under the $2 million defensive coordinator, Stephen. I, 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 2019, they're not expected to be the best defense in the country, but I think they can be better than they were this year consistently. This was a good start, but I think top 10 consistently is not too much to ask, regardless of the context. Yeah, there's a couple of times that the 2019, what made it an outlier is the schedule also sucked. So it did right. fluctuate the numbers. If they yeah. played a normal, if they played this year's schedule, this past Ohio State schedule, that's still a top 15 defense. And I think that's the overall point we're trying to make here is top 15 or better should be the standard because that takes into account that you're going to play some quality teams. But it also means that if you get every so often, you know, power elite teams just get scheduled like they got in 2019. And that means you might have an historical defense. But top 15, that should be bare minimum because that's what we're used to seeing outside of 2018 where it was so bad that it probably wasn't even watchable. I, this might be an extension of what you're saying, Stephen. But like in 2019, who cared what the schedule was like that felt like an unreal defense, like what they were doing out on the field. And it, it hasn't felt anywhere near that 
since then, really. It, it's felt kind of the opposite yeah. at times. It's, it's felt like, ooh, ooh what, wait, what's happening out there? And that's what they've got to eliminate. They've got to just get back to where it, 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 I, 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 as much as anybody, like looking at the hard numbers, the, the, the metrics, those sort of things. But there is something to be said for just how it, how it feels in real time. About the team when they do finally get on a, t- a, a field with a, qual- a like-minded opponent, because even as bad as that schedule was, when they got against Wisconsin and Jonathan Taylor, they played well. Against Clemson, minus a couple of weird things that happened, the defense played well. Even this season, we're going into that Georgia game, and nobody's really sure whether or not this defense is going to be able to hold up or not. And come to find out, they couldn't hold up. All right, this is a defensive question as well. It's from the six one four. I just want to get the Puckeye Talk views on the James Laurinaitis hiring. I know it's a coach and they are all replaceable. This just feels like it couldn't be more of a home run. I can't wait to see how the recruiter in him works out. I'm guessing he will crush it in this role, leaving room for an expanded role as we move further into the year. So we are expected, we think we're going to get James Laurinaitis among the people we're going to talk to on Wednesday. Um, I think he'll be the linebackers coach in 2024. So. Stephen, I know you bring this up a lot, the idea of a, they might change the rule. They might allow you to have more than 10 full-time assistants. When he's at the role he's in now, he's going to be like in the previous, like Keenan Bailey, Brian Hartline, before they stepped up the full-time assistant role. So you can recruit on campus, but you can't go out. And there is a limited, you're not supposed to really coach too much in practice, right? I mean, that's there's rules around these guys as they are now. But this feels to me like multiple things happening here. One is potentially them preparing for when that rule changes and you can have more than 10 full-time assistants and they've got a guy in the building already. I do think they did not hit any home runs in linebacker recruiting. And that is not what Jim Knowles is known for. And for Laurinaitis to be the guy when they get here, that Laurinaitis can talk about playing linebacker. And then they, Jim Knowles will talk to him about scheming it up and that kind of thing. I think that could matter. It seems like James was doing that at Notre Dame. And then also they lost to Michigan twice. And we had a whole podcast about like things they should do and get a great big shovel and gather up, scoop up as many former Buckeyes with gold pants as you can and dump them inside the Woody was one of our solutions, Stephen. So to get a three-time All-American who was very accustomed to beating Michigan seems like a pretty good thing to do. Also, it does feel like it checks every box, Stephen. Michigan week next week, when they have people stand up on that Thursday practice and give the speech, James Laurinaitis is going to give the speech with all his gold plans to go. You see all these, none of you have ever earned one of these. And that includes you fifth year seniors who were just bench warmers in 2019. So, yeah, that's, that starts there. But I, and I can't wait to – I get this Brian Hartline vibe from him in terms of former Buckeye who got all the way to the highest level, and even more so because James Arnardis was an All-American when he played here as a linebacker. And then, obviously, his, his NFL career wasn't as long, but he got to the highest level here. Who better to learn from than a guy like that? So I agree with you if he, that he might be the linebackers coach in 2024 and be the defensive version of what Brian Hartline has been because he has created a renaissance at wide receiver, both in development and in recruiting. Let's just say 
James Laurinaitis does hypothetically end up the linebacker's coach in 2024, where he's got third-year C.J. Hicks, and C.J. Hicks goes crazy. And now C.J. Hicks is a first-round draft pick, and that's like his version of Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. And now the floodgates are opened up in recruiting because now it's he's a really good recruiter. He's a very good developer. Plus, I know for sure he knows what he's talking about because he went through it himself. And that starts to change the trajectory of the linebacker recruiting to being more than just oh, we're only going to get the top 100 recruits from Ohio. No, that means you can go get the top 100 recruits from Georgia, California, Texas, and so on and so on. I Mr. Assistant Coaches Don't Matter, but there are exceptions to the rule, Nathan. And you can't only hire people who played at Ohio State or who grew up in Ohio because you will limit the pool of candidates and you will not have a successful program. But to bring him in now... I think Brian Hartline is a good comparison. I also think he might be the new Luke Fickle. And Luke Fickle was a vital part of this Ohio State program for like 15 years. Now, Luke didn't have the success at the NFL like James did, right? But Luke was a guy in the building. You know, Luke played for Coop, but very quickly became a trestle guy, right? Luke learned a lot of how to be a head coach, of how to be a coach, of how to run a program, relate to players. He, I, I don't think he takes more from anybody than Jim Trestle. Laurinaitis is a Trestle guy through and through from that kind of thing. And Laurinaitis is a fickle guy through and through. And so I think, and this somewhat disputes, my coaches are replaceable. But Nathan, I think they've missed Luke. And maybe it's just because they haven't done a great job there, but they replaced Luke with Bill Davis, who we don't have to run through that. You can go listen to 40 previous Buckeye talks to get my thoughts on Bill Davis. And then when they got rid of Bill Davis, they brought in Al Washington, who I think is a good coach, but he's not a linebackers coach. He's at Notre Dame now. He's not coaching linebackers. He's coaching defensive linemen. And Al was an Ohio guy, but he wasn't an Ohio State guy, but like it wasn't. I, and I don't think it would have been impossible for it to work itself out a little bit better. I, I don't think I don't think Al Washington was a swing and a miss. I think it was like a foul tip, and if he would have stayed at the plate and they could have figured it out, I think it. I think he could have been a good coach here eventually. But also Jim Knowles, this is not what Jim Knowles does best, Nathan. He's here to scheme it up, and he went and lived in Louisiana with Tackett Curtis. They didn't get him. I didn't get anybody else other than Arvell Reese. So they need the recruiting. I think they could use a little Buckeye blood, and James Laurinaitis bleeds it. And so, and maybe it's just because I I know James pretty well, and 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 I think he's a good person. Um, so maybe I'm too close to this, but I think this has a chance to make a big impact. And I also think he'll stay. He's got a nice place to live here. He he was doing the media stuff, and he he had the coaching itch, and he had to scratch it. And I think he would have been interested in doing it at Ohio State to begin with, and it kind of didn't work out. So he went to do it with his good friend Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. And I'll be curious to hear what the story is of how this worked itself out. But I know talk, I talked to James when Ohio State played Notre Dame, and just even then, before the season had even started, it was like, oh, yeah, you like the coaching thing? And he's like, this is it. Like he he scratched it, and then he he wants to scratch it forever. You know how you sometimes you just want to scratch? Is anything better than scratching? I've often thought this. You know how they have massages? Maybe I've said this on a podcast before. I got one massage in my life. I hated it. If I could pay for an hour for someone to scratch me, just let me lie on a table 
and just scratch my back for an hour, that I would pay for. I don't want to be rubbed. I want to be scratched. So James Laurinaitis, I think, might want to be scratched at Ohio State for a decade. I don't think he's going to be in a hurry to get out of here to go be a defensive coordinator somewhere. I think he wants to do this, and I think he wants to do it here. So I think this is – I think he's going to fill that Luke Fickle hole, Nathan. And I also would like to get your feelings on being scratched. Uh, I don't know how much you're willing to pay. Are we Are we allowed to scratch you with like a rake or a, a set of steak knives? Uh-oh. like Tongs, yeah, any implement – any, uh, we could do a fundraiser. I would get something out of it. Have people, have Buckeye Talk listeners come by and scratch me for, you can pay five bucks and scratch me for five minutes. But actually, that, I would win. As there. vigorously as they Don't want. Don't you to. like to be scratched, though? Like to, I, I scratch myself when I need to be and when I have an itch. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I'm not. I'm not sitting around thinking why isn't someone coming by to attend to my itches. I feel like they're my itches. They're my responsibility. Like how- I'm the one who went ahead and had this skin. I should have to itch myself, scratch myself. So, so like people, we've Steven, been, um, you want to be scratched. Steven wants to be scratched. I know it. Well, for starters, I've been like cat sitting this cat for the last couple of days. So my opinion on scratching has very much changed because this <laughs> playful cat has decided that I am now her scratching post. And it's nice. Like she's been doing it the entire time we've been recording this pod. So that's why I've been kind of maneuvering myself here because I don't want to get scratched. But more importantly, we've started putting these little clips of Buckeye Talk up on YouTube. And now people get to see our faces when Doug goes on these little rants, especially these rants that have nothing to do with what we were talking about, such Mm. as scratching. Mm. And I'm very Mm. excited for people to see the faces I've been making the entire time. But I just... Like, people are always like, oh, I want a foot rub. I don't want a foot rub. I want someone to scratch me. I make my wife scratch me. Don't touch my feet. But I can scratch myself. And I can, like, even if it's my back. But not your back. You can't. Yeah, you can. You just find a door jam and, like, just rub yourself against the door. No, no. But, like, anyone who has some long fingernails. Like, I bite my fingernails. I have never, speaking of tangents, I have never... Once in my life, never in my life, cut my fingernails. Every single time in my life that my fingernails have not grown to be 15 inches long, it's because I've bitten them down. So I have no nails because I bite my nails. So my scratching is not as rewarding as my wife's scratching. So I don't make her, I probably ask her to do it. You don't make my wife do anything. I probably ask my wife to scratch my back maybe twice a month. But those 15 seconds, Nathan, are the best. 15 seconds of my month. Oh, 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 God. So if I could do that for an hour, I will pay someone a hundred dollars to scratch my back for an hour. Don't rub anything. Scratch. I, just, I don't like to rely on other people for like, I there's no itch that I have that I can't scratch myself. So I would lean massage because I can't massage myself. No. <laughs> well, we could just nope, uh, nope, only nope, in certain. No, nope, no, nope, not nope. in public. So anyway, I just think he, James Laurinaitis, needed to scratch that itch as a coach. He figured out he likes it. And I'll be curious what the conversation was between Ryan Day and James Laurinaitis that got him to Ohio State. Because Ohio State is where he always wanted to be. But if it wasn't going to work out at Ohio State, then where's the next best place to go? Somewhere in the Midwest where you can work under your best friend. So he made a ton of sense at Notre Dame, but he makes even more sense at Ohio State. I think this is an impactful hire, and I think he'll be around for a long time. All right. Quick break. That's like 
an hour plus on like four and a half questions. We got to talk about chicken bones and we'll do some other stuff next on Buckeye Talk. All right, so here's my chicken question. This was from Will in San Diego, who did direct it to Nathan, but this is, this is we're all going to deal with this now. If stranded on a desert island with choices of Cane's, Popeye's, or Zaxby's, what are you going for? And so one of the issues that I want to bring up here, and I guess it, because Popeye's has real chicken, right? And the person didn't say Chick-fil-A or KFC, but Popeye's is the only place of those three where you can get actual chicken on the bone, right? Zaxby's and Cane's is all tenders or boneless wings or whatever, right? I have not Do you been guys like chicken? Zaxby's in the South. It's coming. I, yeah. I was at, in Zaxby's. Where was I? I was well, in, yeah, in Zaxby's yeah. recently where they had a map. And you could even see like the map because they're coming up to the Midwest and there's just an mm-hmm. Ohio-sized hole. And it's like, they'll be here. They'll be here. Unless they and Canes work out a thing of like, don't come on my corner. But I don't want chicken with bones in it. That applies to wings. And that also applies just to regular chicken. I want tenders or boneless wings. So like that leads me to Zaxby's or Canes or something like that, because the idea, and I like Popeye's tenders too. They, I like the Cajun spice, but I just have no interest in eating chicken off a bone. Steven, you're making a face. Does the bone make it taste better? Yes, it does. Why? What, what is it about the bone that enhances the flavor? The gristle. Is it the marrow? The marrow? marrow, All of it. It makes it better. It's it's a hundred times better. Thousand times better. More flavorful. More flavorful. Oh, yeah. It's it's ten times more enjoyable. Now, with that being said... If I am out in public doing something where it's more of a social eating thing, I'm more likely to get the boneless just because it's easier to eat and talk. But if I'm ordering some wings to go home in the comfort of my home and eat some food, it's going to be with the bone in it for sure. Or at a barbecue or a cookout, definitely bone bone in. You like the bone also, Nathan? I ate chicken off the bone for lunch today. I had to delay the start of this podcast so that I could finish eating lunch while I looked over the questions that were sent. Mm-hmm. And I was eating chicken off the bone. We roasted chicken for some friends that were coming in town this weekend. And then on top of that, after we were done carving up the chicken, I then put it in a pot and made chicken stock out of it um, and when we were done. So we're not, even talking, we're not even talking about fried chicken there. We're talking about just a roasted chicken. But I, I'm the same as Steven. Like, I love... Um, and especially when you're talking about left, it, like the, the boneless chicken can dry out a lot easier than bone in chicken. Um, so if, if I'm ordering like a chicken dinner, then I'm probably going for the bone in chicken. But if it is like, especially if you're driving, um, if it's a, like you're saying, like a more social setting, then maybe you don't because it is just messier. But flavor, no question. No question. I like the robot because I just want two things with chicken. I want white meat and breading. So, which is all that Canes is, right? So that's just, I just have no interest. The best use of a robot to be is to debone my chicken. So maybe I'm missing out on some flavor there, but it's not a messiness kind of thing. It's just what what I like. So I guess for this answer, like I actually think Canes, I appreciate Canes. I appreciate doing one thing and doing it very well. I like the fact that Zaxby's gives you some more options. You can get a salad. Yeah. You can get sauces on the on the wings. And it can, if I'm on a 
on a desert island, the Canes is going to get a little that limited menu. It's like, Ugh. I'm like, what do you get? It's like, hey, what do you get today? Are you get three tenders or four because that's really the only choice that you have. So I would pick Zaxby's on my on my island. Stephen, what would you pick for your island? Yeah, I agree with you with the Canes. Canes is a distant third because you can only eat chicken tenders with the dip so many times before you're just like, you might as well just take me now, God. So I'd say Popeye's first because it gives you the options of both boneless and bone, and then Zaxby's second, but definitely Popeye's just because that's the biggest menu. And I don't want to disrespect Popeye's. I think Popeye's is really good. So I also do like Popeye's. But when I go to Popeye's, I just get the Cajun tenders. Like, I don't ever get the chicken. Nathan, what would you do on the island? So, yeah, I'm, I'm probably eating Popeye's, too. I assume that you're, you're getting the full complement of everything they offer. So, like, you know, sandwich, or do you just want pieces of chicken? And then all the sides that they have. I think that's an important thing, too. Because what you want on a given yeah. day can change wildly as far as what side you want. Whereas with Cane's, do you want fries and slaw or do you not want fries and slaw? Those are your choices. And I guess Texas toast. Yeah. Yeah, no, Popeye's has a good sides. Okay. I'm glad I, well, we'll have a chicken bone discussion deeper into the off season. Uh, I just want to mention this. So I would direct people back. This is the Wednesday pod. If you did not listen to the Tuesday pod, I would direct you back to it. It got up late on Tuesday because it took me a while to piece it together because it is a different kind of Buckeye talk. It's a Buckeye talk legacy podcast. We did two hours where Nathan, Steven, and I talked about CJ Stroud, his career at Ohio State, his legacy as a Buckeye. And then we also, I went and dropped in probably about seven or eight clips from two different CJ Stroud interviews, one from February 2020 when he was just coming in as an early enrolled freshman and one from the conversation I had with CJ in November. We don't normally do that here on Buckeye Talk, Nathan. I don't want to act like it's rocket science. There are a million podcasts that drop live sound in all the time. It's just not what we do. But I just thought the two-hour discussion that we had was pretty good. So it you don't it's gonna take some time to listen to, but it's evergreen. Like it's up there forever now. You I hope you can go back 10 years from now and listen to what we thought of CJ Stroud's legacy, right? Which is kind of why we wanted to do something like that. But I thought Nathan that we did a pretty good job of of wrapping up everything that CJ Stroud was in his three years as a Buckeye and two years as a starter. Yeah, one of our texters today asked me, like, hey, what's up with the pod? Or he had sent us that question, and I sent back, and I'm like, listen, we're working on it, but I think it's worth it. And I, I think it is worth it, the, the in-time investment for that one. Um, we went pretty deep into a lot of different angles, and uh, I think we covered a lot of bases in what, what C.J. Stroud, how he got here, what he did, and then what it means, and and how to like stack it up next to other great quarterbacks at Ohio State. So I agree. I think people should go back and listen. And by the way, those pods do stick around a while because just today I got a message from someone saying, hey, on this pod two and a half years ago, you predicted that Cade Stover would catch a touchdown on a wheel route before the end of his career. Uh, has that happened yet or not? <laughs> it's somebody who like sent me oh the timestamp of the pod that they listened to from two and a half years ago, which maybe they took our hint from when we took the week off and said, hey, just go back and explore uh, the, 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 the past of Buckeye talk. Maybe you weren't listening back then. Go back and just delve into all those things we did back then. There's 1100 and some episodes, go help yourself. And I guess maybe that person did that, or maybe they put a bookmark out there. They listened to it on that day, January 31st, 2020 or whatever. And we're like, I'm going to bring this up in two and a half years. I do respect people remembering something to then try to prove someone wrong two to three years later. I think that is time well spent. 
So Fuck I respect I people who do that. <laughs> it does make me a little bit nervous because some, yeah, I mean, you write something down, especially on the internet, and it's like, oh, that's kind of there forever. Sometimes I think, eh, it's just, it's just talking. It just floats out into the world, and it's like, well, there are whatever eleven hundred podcasts in our feed, so you can go listen to them at any time. Stephen, I wound up with, I, I did call it Buckeye Talk Legacy Pod. I just thought that word legacy was important to have in the headline. From the 330, not sure if you settled on a name for the stories, uh, profiles on the, on the guys that you're starting with the pod, but I think Bucktails might be a solid option. Pays homage to a quality cartoon and has a nice ring to it. Let me know what you think. Like Bucktails, ooh, right? That was like, was that your generation, Stephen? Bucktails? It's cool. like uh, Donald Duck's nephews and the Bucktails, ooh. So I think that wasn't my. Uh, that was, was that, more like know. you watched that, that after my, school. Yeah, Buck that was tales. more my age group, like after school. For real? Yeah. Ooh. Maybe a little. Yeah. Bit younger but than I do you. know what it is. Yeah, I am proud to say I do know what it is. Like a lot of the other things you said, I, I kind of like that name though, Bucktails. But Bucktails. Yeah. yeah, we'll probably get oh, sued. Yeah. I mean, we're going to get sued eventually by somebody for this name yeah, stuff. It is so. what it is. Disney and Ohio State could if we called it Bucktails, we would get sued by Disney and Ohio State simultaneously in the same lawsuit. They would team up to take us down. All right, we're gonna wrap it up with this. It's one NIL question, which is sort of this lingering thing, Nathan. I know you continue to report on this. From the 201, is Ohio State the most popular team in the country with the most fervent fan base really at a disadvantage when it comes to NIL? And I think my answer to this is I didn't think they would be, but they are. For now, what do you think the answer to this question is, Nathan? Well, I think the answer depends on what you actually mean. Are they uh, at a disadvantage in terms of resources? I say no. Are they at a, a disadvantage in terms of um, how they've chosen chosen to deploy those? Uh, it might be yes, but I've tried to explain to people a little bit of what's been going on here. I think the biggest complaint that fans seem to have is that Ohio State has not been active enough in NIL in terms of using it as a recruiting inducement, which it is not supposed to do, and which the NCAA, as I've told people through the document that I got and that I'm trying to get some reporting done on this week, I've talked to someone from the NCAA last week and I have another call scheduled tomorrow. The NCAA is beefing up its enforcement on this. It 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 has said... That it is, uh, it is more outlined what is and isn't, what isn't isn't allowed, and more to the point, the, the the biggest problem that they've had with enforcement is evidence. Like it's hard to when it comes to these recruiting things, it's it's always been this way. It's hard to get evidence because going go before nil when this was all under the table bagman stuff, rumors are out there all the time about every program in the country, right? Or at least all the good ones. And there was never really any concrete evidence where they could catch people in the act. So one of the things that they're changing going forward is that now they can make rulings based on the presumption of evidence. Like they're basically, you're going to almost be presumed guilty under certain circumstances here when there is enough like smoke around something and it's going to be on the responsibility of the program to prove that i am I'm, I'm explaining that a little too broadly and i will in a report that i'm working on for cleveland.com i will report it i will explain it better but it's one of the reasons why ohio state has taken the stance it has and has stayed away 
from the concept of promising money to incoming players, whether that's recruits, whether that's transfers, that's not the area that they want to play in because they knew this was out there. And now you're putting yourself in a position where you want to trust these collectives to raise money and to distribute it the right way. But you are there's about to be a scenario. There already is. It went into effect January 1st. These new guidelines went into effect January 1st. There's essentially a new guideline out there where if these collectives break the rules and the, even if the program, the athletic department and the football program had nothing to do with it, you're still going to get in trouble for it. Like they did it on your behalf. You were still going to pay the the price in terms of NCAA sanctions, whatever comes next. So there's a whole lot of things that are going on where the NCAA is trying to ramp up its enforcement and put some teeth in the enforcement in the, in the NIL realm, the recruiting realm, uh, as the, the NIL realm, as it relates to recruiting specifically that Ohio state has been wary of and has known is coming and is that's why they were steering clear of that. And I think that you're going to see some corrections going forward from other schools probably to get in line with this. As it relates to players who are actually at Ohio State, I have not heard anyone say that the players who are at Ohio State who signed, who are playing, or even if you've just signed and you're here already, like those guys, there's a lot of deals out there for those guys. I don't that no one is saying that Ohio State can't keep its own players because of NIL reasons, right? It's all been a complaint about the recruiting side of it, which is by law, not what NIL is supposed to be involved in at all. Yeah, NIL, if you, it's endorsements. College kids can make endorsement money now. Basically, if you really want but to... It's simple, not, oh, but that's but not over, what it is. Right, no, 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 that's no, no, no. not what over it is. Simple, I mean, that's what it was... Oversimplified, that's what it was intended to be. It has clearly not been that over these this last year and a half that we've seen it come into place. It's become something totally different than what it was intended to be for. So if we were talking about what NIL was intended to be for, no, Ohio State was not, was not going to be at an advantage, which we already thought. What NIL has turned into, yes, they have been at a disadvantage because it hasn't worked in their flavor, favors. In this 2023 class, how it paid out, played out has been an example of that. Yeah, but the whole point is it's not it's not at all right. what people thought it was. I think they're at a disadvantage because they don't have a person. They don't have a Phil Knight. They don't have that guy yep. at Miami who's checking money around. But I think that's the number one place where they're at a disadvantage. You think if they had a Phil Knight, they would be giving that money out as recruiting endorsements, but because they don't, they're not. In, in enticements, Maybe. not endorsements. Pop, I mean, it, it it creates. I mean, at least they have the option to do so. And right now, it doesn't even seem like they have the option to do so. I think that is one thing. And the person says that Ohio State has the most fervent fan base. I don't know if Ohio State has the most fervent fan base for take all my money and buy players. Yeah. <laughs> that that, And I'm not saying that's how you should express your fervor as a fan. But I don't know that Ohio State, we thought about it, as Stephen said. we What we thought it was, it was like, hey, they're in a bigger metropolitan area than most college programs. This is... Columbus is bigger than Tuscaloosa. Columbus is bigger than Greenville, South Carolina. They're going to be great. And that is part of it. But I don't know, like from a cash on hand standpoint, that is not coming from companies, Nathan. I feel like maybe Ohio State is at a little bit of a disadvantage compared to other programs. And that's not to say like, hey, Ohio State fans, send all your money to a collective, but 
I don't know. I I I I feel I feel like they kind of are. I'll, I'll say two things. Number one, the people I've talked to administratively at Ohio State, again, they have known for since October that this January first rule was going into effect. So I don't know that even if there was a a Scrooge McDuck who was just um, piling up, you know, giving them trucks of money. Bucktails. If we're going to get sued, Scrooge, Scrooge McBuck, I should say. If we're going to get sued, we should listen to sued. Um, <laughs> even if that person existed, I don't know if Ohio State would have waded into those waters in the same way. I just don't think they would have is the impression I'm getting. But number two, there's basically two collectives right now. And it is true that there has been an arm for some of these bigger endorsements through the collectives, but largely they have not been the, like some of these, these bigger deals can be done without the collectives. The bigger deals can be done with Ohio state's help through Learfield. Like when we were speculating about CJ Stroud, potentially coming back in the big, big money that that would take, that was how that was going to happen. It wasn't about a bag man in the collect or a, a big donor in the collectives. Like that wasn't really what, was happening there and in 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 some ways the collectives and at least on one in one example of the collectives they don't they're not looking that big it's more about really being tied into that charitable arm and the what how much money they're giving out is capped it's well we know we know but that's not what the collectives at a lot of other schools are doing a lot of the collectives right. at so, other schools are like buying players that's where i'm saying that ohio state's at a disadvantage but what okay but i i but I guess then maybe I guess I, I just quibble with the concept of like, well, are you at a disadvantage because somebody else is playing outside the rules? I don't think that's the spirit of the question. I, the, well, the way fans come to us is like, is Ohio State screwing something up here? Is Ohio State, um, by its own execution, within what is allowable, falling behind? And I don't think that that's true. I think it's more what you're talking about. But, so, but the person didn't ask. The person didn't ask, are they screwing it up? They asked, are they at a disadvantage? So I think maybe they're at a disadvantage in two ways here. One is, I just doubt that they have cash on hand. I think that's correct. From donors. I think just go, that hey, is as high as some other yeah. schools. Yeah, I don't know a guy who can say, hey, here's $2 million of NIL money. But it's from not, a but you, no, you don't even have to do the air quotes. Yeah, have, yeah. Nobody's there's, doing there's, the air quotes. Yeah, that's fair. There's two, there's two million dollars of NIL money to come be a Buckeye. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I don't that's think real. Has that guy. And Miami so I think, has that guy. And Oregon has so that guy. So, other schools, multiple other schools have that guy. And then I do think it might be a disadvantage, self inflicted, that Ohio State cares more about following whatever rules do or don't exist more than some other schools care. And the result is you're at a disadvantage. Now it still might be self-inflicted, but they are not a let it rip athletic department in the same way that some other athletic departments are. So it doesn't mean that they stink. It doesn't mean they can't get any good players, but I don't know, Nathan, I, I, I think my answer to, are they really at a disadvantage when it comes to NIL I think in those two ways they are. So is this a good time to talk about the Jaden Rashada situation at Florida where a commit, you know, commits to Florida because he supposedly has this eight figure NIL deal that's in place. And then he gets there and finds out 
that they're reneging on that deal. The people that he made the deal with and he decommits from Florida. Like is Ohio state better off if it's making um, fictitious promises to these guys just to keep up in the marketplace and then can't fulfill it at the end of the day. I, that's not better either. And the, but that's part of what's going on. No, but there's also a case against, but part of what they're competing against is a perception and not necessarily a reality. But the other thing is there's a report that Tennessee did an $8 million over four-year NIL deal with the number two quarterback in the class of 2023 who's leaving California to go to Tennessee. And he's going there. And you watch his highlights. He's a six-foot. It doesn't look like it makes sense that he's a quarterback. He looks like he's a volleyball player. He's six-foot-five. It looks unbelievable. And in the class of 2020, there were three awesome California quarterbacks, and they went to the three best programs in the country. Now the best California quarterback is going to Tennessee. Why is he going to Tennessee? Because NIL has something to do with it. So I'm not saying that in the previous world he'd be at Ohio State, but I'm saying in that way, I think Ohio State has a million advantages. If we did a list of advantage and disadvantage, they have – you. we can say a 100 advantages Ohio State has, has a program and in recruiting. But on the list of disadvantages, I would add things like this. It's like, who's more prepared to make a big money offer? And I know you're saying, well, the rules, whatever. We'll see what the NCAA does. The NCAA still doesn't know how to turn off the That's fire true. alarms in Indianapolis. They don't like they, they still don't know squat about squat. So like they, whatever their plans are, doesn't feel like other schools are super worried about it right now. So in the end, in the 2023 cycle, I think Ohio State was at a disadvantage because of money and thinking about rules. Now, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying Ohio State blew it. I'm not saying it's going to ruin their program. But it's more – this. I think this was a program, Nathan, was like, what are Ohio State's disadvantages? Probably the only disadvantage it had previously in recruiting is it's cold in Columbus. It's colder in Columbus than it is at SEC schools. What other disadvantage would exist for Ohio State? Now you've had a couple more enter the conversation. doesn't mean they're insurmountable. But I am curious how it shakes out. Your point about – Stuff is changing, and the next recruiting cycle may not be as loose as this recruiting cycle. That is a point well taken. And so maybe the disadvantage will vanish because everybody's going to have to worry about the rules a little bit. But I think for this cycle, some people were still kind of worrying about rules, and some people weren't at all, Nathan. And, yep. and sometimes lawlessness is an advantage. Buckeye talk. I would just say – we don't want to go forever on this, but like the $8 million over four years, I think that is comfortably within what an Ohio state starting quarterback would expect to make if they stayed here for four years. It's not usually how it works out. Maybe this guy won't stay at Tennessee for four years if he's good too, yeah. but everything we heard about what CJ Stroud uh, had available to him through various means of income while he was here would square with that kind of number. And again, what, when I talk to people in this space, you know, for instance, there's like those the on three rankings that are out there. Um, I've heard people tell me that the numbers yeah. that you see there aren't accurate and in some cases are too low. There there are guys at Ohio State that are exceeding those numbers. So that's all kind of part of what I'm trying to report on right now. But it's it's I, for, what for, for players who come to Ohio State and sign at Ohio State and play at Ohio State. I still have not talked to somebody who tells me Ohio State is not. Um, not not just not in a bad space, but is one of the best in the country, if not the best in the country. 
where what people are worried about is the recruiting and enticement thing. And I, I just think that um, we're still very early in that. And I'm very curious if the 2024 class effect looks very different than 2023. Well, we'll see. I think if you ask the people who were out trying to recruit the players in this cycle for Ohio State, I think their answer to is Ohio State at a disadvantage would be yes. Maybe the collective people and the administrative people wouldn't say that, but I think boots on the ground might say that. And I think, and again, you got to get the but, dudes here. One by hook or by crook, you're judged on who you get here. But that's, I, I think that's, and that's not something I think that even in the Bagman era, right? I mean, there's always like, well, you know, this guy's, uh, I, if you thought that NIL would lessen, would even the playing field, I don't think it did yet. Because I think, I think what it did is make it more allowable and so make it more frequent where that money is is contributing to the decision-making of more players. Whereas maybe there were players before that'd be like, well, we're just, we're out on that kid. It's just not going to, what they're looking for is fine, but like, we're not going to do that. I think there are more players right that, like that now that Ohio State in the past would have said, well, I don't think that kid would have been thinking that way. But now in NIL, now that it's above board, now they are thinking that way. And now we are at a disadvantage. That's where I think I, why I answer that way. I, and I just want to say something else that came up in a conversation I had recently that, you know, NIL came into, what was it, July 2021 was when it went into effect. The collectives at that point didn't exist. The collectives were started. It wasn't like collectives were part of the NIL plan that everyone was formulating going in, right? It was something that sprouted up in a couple of places and then people copied it um, as kind of a uh, loophole kind of a way around the the concept, what was initially the concept out there. So again, we, again, that means we're still 18 months into this really, when it comes to NIL, it just, I'm really, I think this is going to be a huge, and we've already talked as a staff about how much of a explainer that we need to be on a regular basis of what's actually happening, because I think this is, there's going to be some, the, the battlefield uh, for the concept, not the actual recruiting and everything, but just the, the battlefield of the concept of NIL could be pretty hot in 2023. All right. I don't want you to make us think we didn't let Steven talk at the end. The cat pulled out his microphone. <laughs> so he is still here, but we don't know if you can hear him or not. So he's chuckling. We don't know if he's being recorded. The cat has gotten to Steven. So that's why... Uh, but Nathan's the guy who digs in on NAL anyway. So anyway, that'll do it for this rapid fire. Not so rapid. We'll be back. We're going to have lots of information from lots of people on Ohio State staff, and we're going to bring it to you at cleveland.com slash OSU. We're going to bring it to you on the text at 614-350-3315, and we're going to bring it to you on the Buckeye Talks to come. Make sure you go back and listen to that Tuesday pod, the CJ Stroud Legacy pod. For now, for this one, thanks for listening. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.